0: This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan, and I'm Mike Kaspar. In 1998, Moscow-born Sergey Brin and Midwest-born Larry Page dropped out of graduate school at Stanford University to, in their own words, change the world through a search engine that would organize every bit of information on the web for free. While the company has done exactly that in more than 100 languages, Google's quest continues as it seeks to add millions of library books, television broadcasts, and more to its searchable database. In his new book, The Google story, David Weiss chronicles the story behind one of the most remarkable Internet successes of our time. Weiss is a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter for The Washington Post and the author of three books, including the New York Times bestseller, The Bureau, and The Mole. David Weiss, welcome to Weekly Signals.
1: Thank you. It's great to be with you.
0: Thanks for coming on. How are you doing today? Everything, Everything well?
1: Everything, everything's going great. Oh, good, in, good. including the price of Google stock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now,
0: what's that up to? Now it just it's, keeps going. It's,
1: it's defying gravity. It's on its way to five hundred.
0: Oh my God! Now, now Moving should,
1: from five, four hundred to five hundred, uh, the way stocks uh, typically move from you know four dollars to four dollars and twenty five cents.
0: Should we be afraid that the bubble's going to burst? There's, there's that you know apprehension. When I talk to other people about this, they, who not necessarily pay attention to the Internet, but the first thing that comes to mind is the dot-com boom and then bust.
1: Well, I think you have to really look at Google the company and then Google the stock. Uh-huh. And I think that Google the company is in its very, very early stages, and it has a long way to go, and there's a tremendous amount of momentum and volume there. And there are also some secrets and elements of the secret sauce that are explained in the Google story uh-huh. about why the business is – not made of cotton candy and not and not part of any kind of a boom when you talk about google the stock that's another matter because wall street's a two-way street and you know if they so far this company hasn't done anything wrong Mm. in terms of making mistakes and if they do one little thing wrong or they're basically whenever google's growth rate starts to slow the stock will level off or drop some but i think that you know we're looking today I mean, at at understanding, analyzing a company that's worth more than uh, General Motors, Ford, Disney, the Washington Post Company, the New York Times Company, and Dow Jones, publisher of the Wall Street Journal combined.
2: It's an amazing, amazing I mean, So,
1: you know, it, it's extraordinary. And uh, a lot of the story behind the story, as it relates to Sergey Brin and Larry Page, the co-founders, and as it relates to some of their real competitive advantages, um, are are in the Google story. And I tried to make it a fun read. It's, it's sort of like a novel, um, in the sense that you know it tell it doesn't uh, it it, sh- it tells the story in a way that that I think puts a human face on on a, a company that likes to have a sense of humor and whimsy and kind of feel human anyway. What, what
0: character traits do uh, Bryn and Page have that, that's made this such a, a a strong company?
1: Well, I think um, let's talk about each of them for a moment. Um, Sergey Bryn is a brilliant, brilliant mathematician, and he is an extrovert, and he is totally 110% focused and committed to the success of the business. And it turns out, and there's some anecdotes in the book that, that bear this out, People think of Bryn as a, you know, techno geek, right? He's, yes. he's a guy who was at Stanford getting his Ph.D. and whatever. It turns out he's one hell of a businessman. And uh, there are some remarkable tales in the Google story about business deals he's done, about snatching victory from the jaws of defeat that really haven't been known before. He's an extrovert. Um,
0: Can you share one of those stories with us, or?
1: Uh sure. Um you know um there's one instance that's really remarkable. Um it shows that he's multidimensional. Larry uh, uh Bren was on a on an airplane with Larry Page flying to Spain um when he got some bad news uh and it was that uh America Online Europe was going to uh drop Google and go with Yahoo as its search engine on the service. Mm-hmm. And Google uh, Brother Bryn sent word that he wanted to meet with the head of AOL Europe and diverted the plane, which was a private plane, and said, we're coming to Heathrow Airport in London instead of going to Spain. And the word came back, the deal with Yahoo is done, don't waste your time. And he sent a message back saying, it means a lot to me personally to at least meet with the head of AOL Europe. The guy agreed to meet with him. 24 hours later, they had a deal that was not only a handshake deal, it was a done, done deal and um, basically it's something that could not and would not have happened if the principals of the business and the owners hadn't been there at the t- at the table on the site, taking a situation where AOL had agreed to something with Yahoo but had not yet agreed in writing and turned it into a victory for Google. And wow. it's, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, these guys are multidimensional guys. They're visionaries. They think about 25 years and 30 years out what it is they hope to accomplish and achieve, and yet they also have the wherewithal and the savvy to, on the moment, to, in a, on a moment's notice, to you know divert a flight and cut a deal. That's pretty unusual.
0: Uh, we're speaking with uh, David Weiss, the author of the Google story. It sounds like these guys don't know how to take no for an answer. Larry
1: Page. You asked about their personality. Larry Page calls it having a healthy disregard for the impossible. (laughs) That's his favorite phrase, and I think it explains a lot of their success. When he was at Stanford, uh, Page one day said to uh, his professors, I'm really, you know, this was in the mid 90s, you know, the quality of Internet uh, search really is very poor. AltaVista was the best search engine of the day, and it it gave you lots and lots of results, but they weren't ranked in in an order that made any sense in terms of relevance. So you had to wade through lots and lots of stuff. So Page one day says to his professors, I'm going to download the Internet onto my computer, and uh, and then I'm going to improve upon this. Well, when they heard him say that he was going to download the Internet onto his computer... They laughed.
0: I can imagine.
1: You know, and he said, oh, I think it'll only take me a week. I can do it. (laughs) It took him a little longer than a week, but he did it, and it was the first in a series of steps that led to the creation of one of the things that has made Google such a success, and that is returning lightning-fast search results that are ranked in order of relevance so that you actually find out what you want very, very, very very quickly.
0: What what exactly happens behind the scenes when you do a Google search? What is, what's well, that's the process Well, that's a great there? question.
1: And uh, one of the two most surprising things I learned about Google was that a key to its success is that it has deployed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of computers in data centers all over the world. It has what Stanford President John Hennessy calls the most powerful computing enterprise of any organization anywhere at this point in time, and it's been done with garden-variety PCs uh, that are linked together um, with special software these guys have written. And When you do a Google search, you think it searches the entire internet, but it really doesn't. Uh, It searches a copy of the internet that's been downloaded already, that's been sorted already, and that's been indexed in a way that makes it possible for your Google search to be broken down into it's various parts when you type in a few keyword terms, yeah. and it gets matched up against what's already there, and you get the results very quickly because everything has already been done in advance.
2: That's amazing. I didn't know how that was done, I and thought... it's
1: fast because
2: yeah.
1: these guys have invested like crazy in computer hardware. That's a great the great secret of Google is that they probably produce uh, more personal computers. They actually people go on a tour of Google's headquarters and they think they've seen everything. Well, they haven't. Google actually assembles and builds its own personal computers that are used in this in this network. It's not just a software company. You know, in an era of specialization where you're either hardware or software. Right. These guys are all about Googleware.
2: So that so they've they've essentially constructed these PCs that are just search engines in in and of themselves, it sounds they, like they
1: they have and they have thrown everything out of these PCs that are stripped down yeah. and cheap that they didn't need. And uh you know, uh, one of the top officials of Google said to me, "You know, the public doesn't know it, but we're like Dell. <laughs> I mean, we,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: you know, we're cranking out, we're cranking out hardware, just you know, in computers and PCs, just like we're delivering search results."
2: Now, I'm going to ask a, a, a fun, kind of fr- frivolous question. Well, um, the 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 term Google, how did that come about?
1: That's a fun story. Um, Larry Page was in his in his office at Stanford when he was teaching and he couldn't come up with an idea that hadn't already been taken when he was searching for a, a, uh, a name for the company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, he had a, a very creative um, office mate, Sean Anderson, who said to him, what about Google? You know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a big, not, you know, because there's a mathematical term, Google, G-O-O-G-O-L, that means the number one followed by 100 zeros. stands for something mm-hmm. really, really big. hmm And these guys are nothing if they're not ambitious. I they they think big. So Paige page said, okay. And so they typed in G-O-O-G-L-E, and the domain name was available. They registered Google.com, and they wrote it on the whiteboard in their office at Stanford. The next morning, another of their uh, office mates, there were like five or six people crammed into this office, came in, in and said, you dummies, you spelled it wrong. Uh, you spelled it G O O G L E. It's act the word. The mathematical term is G O O G O L. Well, that was already taken.
2: Oh, so
1: they okay. just called it Google, spelled it wrong, and the rest is history. Wow.
0: Okay, <laughs> that is fun. That is fun. Now you're a reporter for the Washington Post, uh, but these days, at least the way I understand it, newspaper subscriptions are on the decline, and it's it's the shift is to the internet. Uh, do you think Google has anything to do with that? And, and what are the plans at Google to take, to take the news? And what are the plans at the Washington Post to, uh, to move in more into the domain of Google?
1: Well, we're going to buy Google.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there you go.
1: And so that's going to solve the problem for the Washington Post. Is that a breaking story, right? right I can't speak for the New York Times or the L.A. Times (laughs) or the Orange County Register. Owning Google will really be a great thing for the Washington Post. I I, I think it's a good move, (laughs)
2: financially speaking.
1: Um, In all seriousness, advertising follows the eyeballs. And what Google figured out was how to make advertising successful on the Internet. Um Instead of charging people for ads the way newspapers do magazines do the way television does, which is you know you pay based on how many people read the paper or how many people watch a show. you only pay for an ad on Google in those little text boxes if you if someone clicks on the ad yeah. so you know these guys figured out a, a way to make it really uh easy for advertisers to track the cost and effectiveness of their ads. They changed the advertising model completely and you know they in newspapers give you what editors think are important when you do a google search you find what you want mm. and so you're finding what you want they serve up only contextually relevant ads which means the ads that pop up have something to do with your search and so millions and millions of people all over the world are moving from uh reading reading things in in hard copy uh, to off, spending more and more of their lives online and i think that'll only continue and Google captures something like one out of every three dollars that's spent on Internet advertising right now. And it's a, it's, it's a, there's two things going on. There's more money being spent on Internet advertising, and there's also a shift in spending taking place that's coming out of newspapers and magazines and going to the Internet. And so basically uh, you've got a trend where newspaper circulation is down uh, newspaper advertising is struggling to keep pace, and Google is, is growing faster than King Kong can destroy a building and uh, or take on a dinosaur. Um, you, you asked what the Washington Post is doing about it, um, stretching our heads like everyone else, yeah. trying to figure out what to do. But in all seriousness, the Washington Post plays a role Google doesn't. Um, Google Google serves up information provided and content that's created by other people. There is a role and an important one for newspapers Mm -hmm. in our society. Uh, Newspapers provide information about local communities. Newspapers provide reporting and information about issues that are of national importance. Um, Newspapers keep people informed. Google has created something called Google News. That's very popular uh and what they do there is they they aggregate bring together the best stories from and the latest freshest stories from the Washington Post, the New York Times and a bunch of other publications all over the world. And They continuously update it and it's very popular. Those newspapers were to disappear, Google wouldn't have anything to put on Google News. So all of these publications have gone the way of creating websites and right now uh here's a very telling statistic to answer your question. The Washington Post on a daily basis has a circulation of about Mm -hmm. 800,000. The WashingtonPost.com, which is a super popular website uh, for people around the world who want to know anything and everything about Washington, has 8 million visitors a month. Mm -hmm. So there are actually more people reading the work of Washington Post reporters than ever before. It's just they're reading it online instead of in print. And the Washington Post is, like other newspapers, not making as much money from uh, ads on the web as they, are, as they did from ads in print.
2: I don't want to get uh, – by the way, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with David Weiss, and he's the author of The Google Story <clears> – <throat> excuse me – The Google Story, Inside the Hottest Business, Media, and Technology Success of Our Time. Um, I don't want to get too far afield on this, but – uh, it does seem that uh, journalism is moving in the direction they're moving to get in t- towards one another. Um, I recently uh, know of a uh, a new kind of way of delivering news called open source journalism, mm-hmm. which essentially allows people to create a newspaper um, where people. It's it's basically a, the model is a very small model. Small communities they input information onto a website that becomes the newspaper, and, and um, that that in and of itself is sort of a, an outgrowth of what Google has created, essentially allowing people to to produce the news for themselves.
1: I think that that um, one of the things that you see all over the internet that makes it exciting is interact is is the interaction, yeah, and the sense of community that can be created and. Certainly, um, people can do all kinds of things by prov- whether it's a- providing a critique on a book they've looked at and read on Am- and then writing about it on Amazon, right? Or pr- providing input. I-, I don't know that these are really substitutes for newspapers. No,
2: though. no. At the end of the day, as you described it, the role of newspapers is a very important one, and I- I'm-, I'm certain will comfort
1: it- the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> right? Right. They're and, in the best position know. to do that. But i'll tell you one of the one of the things that I found most fascinating about google um and it was a secret uh, until the Google story was published is that Google is working very closely with a number of doctors and scientists and others to develop a way for all of us to be able to google our own genes Now this is big stuff because nice. it it is talking about when google google's mission is to organize all of the world's information and make it accessible. That doesn't just mean information that's already on the web. A cor- Sergey Brin is passionate about this, uh, and he's thinking at, that the information in our bodies ought to be available for, ourse- for us to Google ourselves so that we can find out what do we have a genetic predisposition for in terms of illness, what food should we avoid, what medicines should we avoid, or what medicine should we take that will be more effective. And he's impact, they're impact, they have a goal to empower the individual to actually on Google find out more about their health and about themselves rather than leaving it to the doctors and it's an incredibly important uh, project. It's at the highest level of priority uh, for Sergey Brin and uh, doctors I've talked to at NIH and elsewhere say that the Google search engine mm-hmm. is a perfect match for the human genome which it's is a map, map of all the genes that, that we know anything about And, you know, often you need to find a needle in a haystack in order to identify, you know, the important genetic markers and other things. And the search engine can do that in a way that no individual possibly can. So, you know, Googling your genes is something that that is both a vision of Sergey Brin uh, and something that Google is actively working on now that has the power at the intersection of technology, uh, media, science, and medicine to radically change the world.
0: Now, this is a project I hear that's take, going to take about 10 years to complete.
1: That's an uh, estimate, yeah. Uh, and and at, the,
0: a, at the end of that, say, I would have some sort of code that I would simply enter in and and uh, ask questions about my health, and I'd get answers based on what was inputted before. That
1: That's they, the idea, yeah? that you'd not oh. only be Googling for, for information about the rest of the world, but you'd be able to to Google information and learn more about yourself. Wow. And uh, exactly what form it'll take remains to be seen. But this this is the kind of far-reaching... And, you know, Google Google just entered into a partnership with NASA, right, uh,
0: right,
1: right. Where, where they're building a campus with NASA to combine NASA's rocket scientists and Google's, you know, and Google's rocket scientists yeah. and mathematicians and technologists to work together in California in a way that's never been done before between private industry and NASA on all kinds of projects because Google wants to provide all of the world's information. Well, the world doesn't just include the planet Earth. Google wants to be able to enable you to search the galaxy. Uh, I'm telling you, these guys are just getting started. No,
0: but just recently they made a a challenge to Apple uh, getting into entertainment too. Uh, They've got the the Google Video Store going on. but. Challenging right. Apple's iPod. How's that? How's that working out?
1: Well, the Google story is still unfolding. The Google Video Store is not really open for business in a full way yet, but very shortly, what, what Google wants to do is apply search technology to video, so you'd be able to search very quickly and easily through thousands and thousands of movies, videos, TV shows, you name it, and find exactly what you want when you want it and watch it on demand. Hmm. And Google has developed, to, to help the video, motion picture industry, television industry avoid what happened to the music industry, Google has developed its own digital rights management software so that the stuff can be viewed but not copied. Oh. And uh, so there will be a legal way to watch all of this, pay a fee, and uh, Google will share that fee with, you know, CBS is one of its partners, the Charlie Rose Show is one of its partners, Um and uh, the NBA is one of its partners.
0: Oh. Well, well, there you go, Mike. There you the go. NBA, yeah, there no, well, well, the NBA, I think, that's pretty much... The NBA to
1: Charlie Rose, right? Yeah, uh, 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 uh,
0: yeah I like... Now, now, it sounds to me that Google's a monopoly already. Are, are, are they are they doing anything to, to prevent themselves from being chopped up and uh, dispersed? I, I mean, it really does sound like they're on the road to becoming a monopoly.
1: Well, you know, in, Google's doing a lot of things to avoid that. Okay. Um, the first thing they did is open a Washington office. Uh, because they know that 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 as they grow uh-huh. larger and more powerful, people will become suspicious. Uh, Microsoft. I remember Bill Gates coming into the Post, Washington Post years ago, and saying, "We don't need a Washington office. We don't care that much about Washington. We're doing our thing, and we're gonna, you know, create it." Google is is in a partnership right now with the Library of Congress, uh, making a financial donation and donating its people to help digitize books at the Library of Congress. Yes. Um, Google. Has hired a couple people in its Washington office, including Vint Cerf, one of the founders, really, and pioneers of the internet. And so it's it's preparing for the scrutiny that's going to come. The other thing Google is doing is that, that Microsoft was accused of being a monopolist because its operating system was pre-installed on all these computers, mm-hmm. and people had no choice. Uh, basically, right? You had to use these. You had to use the Microsoft operating system. Right. And, it was a, and, Google, and Microsoft wouldn't give out the details of, of what the software uh, code was about and all the rest. Google is very much in favor of open source. So almost everything it creates and puts out there, Google also provides for programmers and others um, the code that they need to write other applications on top of it. So they're taking an open source versus a closed-world closed approach to the way they do things and the result is when you come up with something that has a big wow factor like Google Earth where people can kind of travel around the world and see things and see buildings um, Google is providing the source code and other people are building their own businesses on top of it yeah. Very good. and you know Microsoft also created a lot of enemies because it was sort of a bully in the computer industry Google has created a lot of friends because um, there are hundreds of thousands of websites that rely uh, 100% for all of their revenue on ads that are served up by Google. Google lets these websites sign up with them. Uh, The biggest is AOL. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of mom and pop sites out there that in five minutes sign up with Google. Google serves up the ads, it's great branding for Google, and it's revenue for these websites that wouldn't have the capacity to sell ads. And Google is not too greedy in the sense that it lets these websites keep about 70 cents of every dollar (laughs) generated by clicks on ads so there is a vast universe of uh there's a real network out there rooting for google to succeed
0: oh, good i i noticed that uh bill Gates seemed a little bit agitated last week uh, i think he said some well i wouldn't call him disparaging but he was saying the honeymoon period for google will be over soon and they'll get get slammed so uh he said that about a year ago. Also, oh right, okay. So, so Bryn and Paige are. Uh, you think they're better? Uh, are they up to the task? Are, yeah.
2: are they up to the task of taking um, taking Microsoft uh, on? I mean, do you, is that yeah. A- I
1: mean, I, I don't th- I think Microsoft was the greatest company uh, in technology in the PC era. Google is the greatest company in technology in the Internet era. Mm-hmm. And Microsoft kind of missed the dawn of the Internet um uh, maybe instead of being based in Seattle they should have been in California in Silicon Valley and they wouldn't have missed the internet but you know I, I, in all seriousness um google's playing on a different platform than microsoft did and microsoft is really tramming a tough time playing catch up yes. um because they fell so far behind um to this day the best search engines out there are google and yahoo microsoft still doesn't have a search engine that's t- its equivalent and Microsoft has tried, because it's got $40 billion in cash, to, to hurt Google's business by uh, taking away some of Google's revenue. Um, for example, Microsoft tried to cut a deal with AOL recently, in which Microsoft would become the search engine uh, on AOL and guarantee big annual payments to AOL. And in the end, AOL made a deal with Google, mm. because it had a better search engine and because it offered... Uh, a flexible arrangement that looked like it would actually create more revenue for both companies and because AOL didn't want to give its users an inferior search tool. Um, and they had a, they already had a relationship with Google, but Microsoft worked for a year with Time Warner to try to create a deal with AOL. The Google guys did a deal with AOL that knocked Microsoft back to Redmond in, in about two weeks and, or three weeks. Yeah. And um, they did it. Really, they—they're deft. You know, one of the things that, that that they do, even as they grow larger, is they keep the project teams who work on things really, really small. Um, getting bigger that's... doesn't mean you have to become very bureaucratic in their view. So, new initiatives, new projects, and other things—they their teams are no larger than three to five people.
0: Oh, that's that's great to hear. I know a company like uh, Gore Tex also tries to do the same thing. There's a uh, there's a division point within. Their divisions they don't they don't like to get higher than a certain amount before they break it off into another division to keep the communication going so that's good to hear
1: yeah, I mean I think Google faces some serious questions and some and some risks to its business I don't think that Microsoft is the main one though i think I think the main risks are privacy risks mm-hmm. because every Google search that you do and that I do is saved yeah. by Google every If you use the Google email, which is known as Gmail, (laughs) Mm -hmm. those are all saved by Google. Even if you delete them, they're saved on Google servers. And Google says it does this because it wants to improve the quality of of search. Uh, Larry Page says that Google search right now is only about a 2 or 3 out of 10. And by learning more about you and personalizing search, he wants to move it closer to 10 out of 10. The flip side of that is, though, that if somebody – Somebody who has a subpoena might go to the might go to Google and get an awful lot of information about what you've been looking for, what you've been searching for. There could be abuse by prosecutors, federal investigators. I mean, there there are real privacy issues to be concerned about what's as it, it relates to Google. It sounds
0: like the NSA will will start looking into
1: Google. Oh, I'm account. sure they already
2: do. Yeah. I'm sure they already have. If
1: they you know Google Google's got Google places what's called a cookie on your PC. Mm-hmm. It tracks what you do, and they say they're going to save the stuff uh, for at least between 30 and 40 years. I'm not that worried about how it'll be used and abused by the guys at Google, especially while Brennan Page are there, mm-hmm. but who can stop somebody? You know, some prosecutor from the outside? When, when is a divorce lawyer going to show up on their doorstep with a subpoena demanding all the searches and yes. emails from a spouse, for example? Um, that have been saved, and when you know there 's just all kinds of potential privacy issues that that come up that are are you know worthy of your audience really knowing about and understanding
0: yeah Has, has google uh, talked about backing away from that privacy issue at all, I mean you know they in- addressing not, it yeah, addressing it not saving as much, or are they feel that this is necessary component of their business
1: they feel that they need to do this in order to improve the quality of search. Yeah. That, you know, the Google, that Google puts a lot of resources. I mean, a big part of the Google story is putting an enormous amount of research, resources into improving the quality of what they do. And I think everybody who's used Google can see that, you know, the stuff works. Yeah, and,
0: absolutely.
1: And to make it better and improve the quality of search, they think they need to save this information because they not only save it, they use it um, in order to give you more, you know, la- Larry Page has a has a uh, uh a saying that talks about you know what it is you know he thinks the ultimate search engine uh would provide and you know when he thinks about that um and he thinks about improving the quality of of search on Google he says the ultimate search engine would understand exactly what you mean and give back exactly what you want yeah. To get there, you need more personal information.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, well, that uh, that's a I think a good po- uh, point for us to uh, wrap up. Um we're, uh, we've been speaking with David Weiss, and he is the author of the Google Story, and uh, it's a uh, it's available uh, at Google. No. Everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Oh, yeah. Just take the the uh, Google yeah. Story and well, Google. I'm trying to across it. Yes. So uh, uh, it's a terrific story. It's obviously. Uh, uh, one of the more remarkable companies of uh, of the last uh, twenty five years, and uh, I want to thank you for being a part of Weekly yep. Signals. Nice, David Vise.
1: Great, thank you for having me on the uh, show, yes. and and uh, uh, I I hope you'll take uh, there's a just one one small comment. Yeah, uh, in the back of the book, I've included some Google search tips.
0: Oh, good. Okay. okay, and
1: also I've included something that's kind of fun called the Google Labs Aptitude Test.
0: All right. Uh oh.
1: The GLAT. <laughs> Not the SAT.
0: Okay. okay. The
1: GLAT. It's a combination of fun questions and it's a combination of hard questions. So you can take the GLAT and, and go to the GoogleStory.com and see how you did. All right. Okay. Well, thank Will you. Do.
2: Thank you, David Bye.
0: Right.
1: Thank you. Mm. Take care. Bye. Bye.
0: To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests,